1 p.m. on the East Coast market call. June is busting out all over, all over the meadows and the hills. Today's market call, Dan, brought to you by FactSet, financial data and analytics powered by tomorrow. They're also our data provider in just a few minutes, and it will just be a few minutes. The great Carter Braxton Worth of Worth Charting will be joining us Um Check us out on the YouTube, smash the like button, and find us in your favorite podcast stores. But before we even start today, uh, and of course, the market's higher because it's open, we have some sort of special announcements we want to sort of put forth, Dan Nathan. Yeah, it's kind of sad, right, guy? This is going to be, for the time being, uh, it's going to be our last Monday market call on the YouTube because you and I are going to be hauling our asses up to Midtown Manhattan on Mondays at noon, and we're going to be doing a live market call in show. We're just going to call it market call on Sirius XM. That's the XM radio guy. You're going to have to control yourself. Literally, I think we're like a studio over from the the great Howard Stern when we're going to be Howard going to- Stern. So this is the same Sirius XM that. They paid Howard Stern like, you know, 400 million. That serious yeah. XM. The yeah. same one with like Chris Mad Dog Russo, that one. Yes. Yes. Like, it, so we're going to be, we're going to be sitting in the same hallways. This is going to be, can I tell you something? We did this a few months ago. I actually don't remember exactly. We call it a pilot. It was like a little pilot. Time goes by like this. And it yeah. went extraordinarily well. People called in. The lines were filled, as they say. It's a lot of fun. And the radio medium, I've always said, is one of the most powerful, if not the most powerful medium out there. And we're going to sort of um, we're going to do it for an hour. And it's going to be, as they say, Dan, a no holds barred. I don't know what that means, but it's going to be that. Yeah, no, I mean, it's really exciting. It's funny. I've long said this. I've said this on Fast Money. I've said it on our pods like Sirius XM. When we spend so much time talking about different platforms, right, and delivery mechanisms of content you know, over the years, and we've seen some come and go in this sort of I have been listening to SiriusXM. You know, I love their the commercial-free music, the Pearl Jam channel, the Grateful Dead channel, you know, all the stuff that's curated and everything like that. But then I found myself over the last five or six years that the app, you know, that was like the in-car experience for the most yeah. part. It was fabulous. But they have like, and again, we're not shilling for them. I, I've been a user forever. The app is amazing. When I leave here, okay, at four o'clock, um, I leave our offices and I'm heading up to Midtown to go to um, Fast Money. I listen to the CNBC app or I listen to the MSNBC. You know, like it, it's a great app. So like to me, I'm, I'm really excited to be on it. And I'm excited that they put their faith in us, Kai. They think we can hold an hour of call. Oh, no, no, no. I, I, let me tell you something. I know that's going to be the case. And yeah. I'm already getting my classic rock chops going because there's going like, to be a like lot of chops like these things, like those things. No, well, I don't have sideburns anymore, but it's going to be fun. So next Monday, high noon, peeps. We'll give everybody the channel. It's the business channel 132. We're going to give the call in number. We want to hear from all of you. Um, And so that is going to be a lot of fun. All right, guys, let's talk. We're going to bring Carter in in a minute, but let's just you you said something that always kind of gets me uh, geeked up here. You said the market's up because it's open. I mean, like I can't actually other than the fact that the S&P wants to make a run at that August high, you know, and that's the way that these markets use. I, I just don't know why we're up today. Like, you know, take a breather, man. Like, you know what I mean? Like, like there's something, but nothing. No, 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 uh, no. In the, no. in the absence of whatever news or in the absence, it, well, basically the market has become one of these sort of autopilot things. Money flows come in, markets go higher. There's obviously 
you know, we talk about this flight to perceive quality in the form of these high growth, high valuation names. Apple, we're going to talk about with Carter in a second, making all time highs. So, I mean, people are partying like there's nothing going on uh, or there are no headwinds out there. I think that whole skip thing from the Federal Reserve and that unemployment rate ticking to 3.7 percent. I think that actually got people excited uh, saying, yep, now unemployment starting to trend up. The Fed's going to be our friend. I just think it's somewhat misguided. But listen, I've thought that for, what, 150 S&P handles at least. Yeah. So here we are. Yeah, it, but but then, you know, then you see the ISM data that we saw this morning, pretty disappointing. Yeah. A lot of economic data is not particularly great. And again, I mean, maybe bad data is good for the markets because it gives the Fed more excuse to pause, skip, whatever, that sort of thing. But I guess equities right here are just pricing in, you know, a very, very, very soft landing. And, and hey, listen, man, you know what? I go back to 2018, Guy, when you were kind of um, you were optimistic that Fed Chair Powell was doing the right thing by normalizing interest rates. I think that's the term that they used. And for a while, the stock market just didn't care. You know, they had the the sort of tailwind of the job or the the uh, tax cuts. Right. If you think about the, the year before that were put in place in 2018, we had relatively low unemployment. I mean, there was a lot of decent things um, going on, but then all of a sudden, I mean, when when the ten year got above three, what was it, three and a quarter or something like that, all hell broke loose in the stock. Mm -hmm. You know, so and then they obviously had a pivot in the early portion of 2019. Yeah. So yeah, I know there are a lot of similarities. Listen, there are a lot of corollaries with a lot of different times. Um, things are moving a lot faster today, seemingly than they have before. The VIX doesn't care about necessarily anything. You know, I saw some there were some aggressive tactics in the China Sea over the weekend that, again, the market doesn't care about. U.S.-China relations are not getting better. China seems to be flexing. A lot of people seem I don't want to say imminent because that's the wrong word, but China, Taiwan, yeah. seemingly a foregone conclusion. You know, so many of the companies here that have been doing so well, so much of that growth is predicated on on China and what's going on there. What happens if something were to manifest itself? So to your point, forty three hundred S&P is pricing in a soft landing. That's what the S&P is yeah. pricing in right now. And if you believe that's going to be the case, then that's why you want to be long stocks. I am not one of those people, though. Yeah, if these guys could bring up a five-year of the VIX really quickly, um, I think it's interesting what you just mentioned here. You know, with, with a VIX that's, you know, just below 15 and it's trading at, you know, a year and a half low, um, you know, it feels like, oh, how much lower could it go? I mean, in that period that you're talking about, you know, when the Fed started normalizing interest rates, you know, you saw that spike in mid-2018, um, and then it came back in, you know, like towards the end, and it kept on going up, right, like a little bit. But, it, you know, it got down to like 11 and a half, yeah. you know. And then, and then what's interesting is like once the Fed pivoted, and this was the BTFD, right, like that was that playbook, look, look where the VIX went back to the low teens, you know, below that again. So if you think that the VIX can't go lower, you know what I mean, like you got another thing coming – Next week, we're going to have Mike Coe, our really good friend from um, Options Action and Fast Money. He's going to join us on Tuesday's market call. We're going to go through um, a lot of what he's thinking and seeing in the VIX. We're going to do that before June uh, options expiration. He's going to give us a good sense of um, just to try to make some sense of all these zero days to expiration options and what they're doing here. But, uh, you know, again, um, I wouldn't be betting against the VIX right here. You know, maybe maybe kissing 13. If we have a if we have the S&P going to those August highs, guy, that's probably where we can see the VIX. Yeah, and I'm happy that he's going to come on. And there have been a few Fridays now in a row where the market's just sort of been on, you know, this trajectory higher, seemingly unstoppable. Obviously, last Friday, one of them, a lot of people are pointing to exactly that. 
I don't understand them. I'm sure Mike understands them a lot better than I do. And he's going to bring some information for us. And maybe we can figure some things out, but that's another one of these things out there that nobody seems to be talking about and how this is going to end. And the fact that it continues to tamp down volatility, you know, I, I, again, I hate using certain terms, but the VIX to me feels like that bit of a coiled spring. So if yeah. that starts to get back on its horse, Katie bar the door, as they say, Dan. Yeah. Well, I mean, just, you know, last month, um, you know, eyeing the debt ceiling, not that I thought we were going to default or anything like that. You know, I bought, you know, some VIX calls, the twenties and, and they got above there. The trade was a winning trade. Uh, I took a little off, but let me tell you something. It like, as soon as there was a headline that, that made it look like the worst case scenario was off the table, they just melted. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. So it's just really hard to kind of trade some of this stuff um, in, in that short term nature there. All right, let's do it. Let's bring Carter Braxton worth of worth charting uh, in here. Carter, how are you, Good. bud? How oh, I'm good. How are you? I mean, we sound probably less frustrated than we did last week at this point. We've just kind of like resigned to the fact that the market feels like, you know, based on very narrow breadth, in, in my opinion. And I've seen some data suggesting otherwise. But when I look at my fact set screen and I see what's rocking and rolling, it's the same 10 stocks and they're just dragging the market up. So talk to us like week on week, you know, we've got the debt ceiling out of the way. We've seen the Fed fund futures, at least the CME Fed tracker is pricing a, a lower probability. I think 27% of a hike, a 25 basis point hike at the meeting next week. I mean, what, what, what's the, what's the stock market? What's mega cap stock market telling you right here, given, given what we just got through over the last week or two? Right. So to your point about breath or participation, we know that there is a relationship, as you can plot any relationship between any two instruments, Coke, Pepsi, McDonald, Burger King, natural gas, oil, or an equal weight index versus an actual weight index. In the case of the S&P, the actual index, of course, the top 10 stocks are now more than 30%. Now, concentration is a normal thing. Over the last 45 years or thereabouts, the top 10 average about 20%. Um, but 30 obviously is higher than that. The question is the relationship between the average stock, median stock, which, of course, i.e. eliminating the market cap weighted nature of the index. You have a spread now that is last seen at the COVID low and at the financial crisis low, the median and mean stock underperforming the index, the index being driven by a handful of names. So one of two things in principle not has to happen because obviously there is no guarantee, uh, but is more likely to happen. Either the market is in as precarious position as it was in the financial crisis um, and COVID, and therefore we have generally lower prices, in which case the high flyers um, will succumb, or the market's not, and things are actually going to keep going higher. Well, guess what will happen then? The laggards catch up. And so in principle, it's bet to this point to bet on the average stock rather than the index, which is driven by just a handful. Let's take a look at the S&P, Carter, because I do think breath matters. You know, people seem to discount it and say it's better. It seems to me that, again, maybe 12 to 15 names have been driving this entire thing. We know the seven, you're not at another five, and here we are. But below the surface, the damage continues to be done. But here's the S&P. Again, I think Dan mentioned it. We're going to push towards that August high. I think it was, please don't at me if I'm wrong, I want to say 43.25 or 43.30 thereabouts. We're within less than a percent away from that. What are your thoughts here? What is this telling you? Well, that's exactly right. It was a Tuesday, August 16th. It was 43.25 and change. And we are obviously uh, inches away from that. 
does it um, push higher than that? We've got the problem with this currently, of course, is there are now four very immediate unfilled gaps below. When you have a gap at the open down, it means that um, and, and those of us in the 50 plus crowd getting in the foothills of 60 know that there used to be something called the late open, right? That doesn't happen anymore. All stocks open immediately, but the specialists couldn't open the and IBM was 938, 942. And then they opened it, IBM up eight bucks or down eight bucks. Now a gap in an index means that there's such overwhelming buying interest at the open or selling interest that you get a gap open down or up. And we have four of those. There's been that much euphoria and uh, energy and um, um, desire, if you will, for buying equities in the S&P. Those will have to be addressed. Yeah. You know, it's interesting. And, and Guy and I have mentioned this on a couple of occasions, Carter, that like, listen, the S&P chart, you know, um, the October low was the last lower low, right? In that sequence from the January 2022 highs, right? And so we made a series of, of higher lows since then. And and listen, you know, I've learned so much from you over all the years. You know, this is not a horrible looking chart right here, that S&P, right? And we know that yeah. that 43 low, I mean, like there are plenty, and, and this is, leads me to the NDX, the NASDAQ 100. So the guy's point of that seven stocks that make up 50% of the weight, that is 20% above its 150-day moving average right there, Carter. Almost 20%, okay? Mm -hmm. So one of the headlines that I saw this morning when I woke up uh, on, on Bloomberg or in the Wall Street Journal was that we have a new bull market, that the S&P is up 20% from that October closing low, okay? Well, what does it mean to you if we have two headlines, that the S&P is up 20% from its October closing low, and then we have the NASDAQ 100 that's up nearly 20% from its 150-day moving average. I mean, to me, right. it just shows the differential, you know what I mean, and the concentration of those names here. This one does not look attractive to me. If the S&P is one that if you took the name off it and you took everything I think I know about the markets, um, you know, I might buy that chart, okay? I'm not buying this chart. Right, and so it's, it's all about sequencing and how far above or below a moving average you can get. Moving average is meant to smooth out price. And uh, just as we got that check back, which you see, of course, uh, in, in February and March, uh, then in turn, you get the next one. Uh, a stock goes only so far, uh, Crocs, and then it checks back, Starbucks, and then it checks back. Netflix has done two or three. And so it is with the index. Now, you know, day-to-day -day momentum is a powerful thing. On the way down, it can get very extreme. Think of COVID. And it can get very extreme on the way up. We just happen to be in a moment where the momentum is very aggressive. It's one-sided, but all undershoots and overshoots uh, do get extreme, and then you get mean reversion. Place that there's no overshoot, there's no real uh, excitement, seems to be in the Russell, and this is a completely different-looking chart. I mean, this one is up against a moving average. This one has not performed particularly well. Yeah, I guess you could say we have a series of higher lows over the last, I don't know, month and a half, two months, but that's not particularly compelling I would submit either way here, Carter. Right. Well, this is the this gets to the the disconnect, right, between so many stocks and the stock market in quotes, i.e., the S and P five hundred. And so it really it is one of two things. If the relationship is so stretched, looking at that Nasdaq chart or S P versus this, that you're reaching readings last seen at very dire moments for the market, COVID low financial crisis low, either the real cagey, opportunistic, smart thing to do is to 
hold one's nose and buy laggards, or because the market's going to keep going higher and they ultimately catch up. Or again, the message is that something's really wrong, in which case the high flyers ultimately succumb. But we've we've reached the end of the runway. You cannot stretch the rubber band any further. So Carter, I have a friend who's not in the markets, but he's a smart guy and he pays attention to the markets. And um, last year he started averaging into the QQQ, the NASDAQ 100, right? The ETF that tracks it. And as of today, he's up 30% on just that positioning that he started averaging into last year mm -hmm. and asking me what I think of Apple at 52 or all time highs and Google making 52 week highs and all, you know, all the other ones very near it, the, the ones that are driving. And, you know, my, my point to him was what you did a great job last year in the throes of a very difficult market where the NASDAQ 100 was the focal point, right? To the downside, if you think about it. And my suggestion was like, well, if you're kind of getting itchy to take some profits in the QQQ, I might sell a little there and then start buying or averaging into the Russell 2000 the way you did in 2022. Do you like that sort of idea? It's not a pairs trade, but it's no. as you're taking money off of the QQQ, you'd be adding, you know, IWM. It's tilling your garden, right? You're trimming. They say you're supposed to, you know, don't cut your flowers. You let your flowers grow and, and cut your weeds. But at some point, it's time to cut the flower a little bit. You, so you pull. And so all that you're proposing, and I think it's exactly right, is to reduce exposure to things that are steep, uncorrected, crowded, loved or expensive, whatever word one chooses, and put a little of it, sprinkle it into those that have have lagged um, the the thing that causes something to stop, right, is that you don't have an incremental buyer. Someone, for instance, Apple at 50 times, is it 100 times, right? At some point, you won't get an incremental buyer of Apple or these QQQ type stocks. And also a second phenomenon starts just as you had that inquiry coming in. Hey, what should I do? Other people say, maybe I should trim that. Maybe this is some time saver. All it takes is a few people start taking profits and not enough people putting new money to work. And the whole thing reverses. Let's take a look at Apple because you mentioned it. New all-time high today. It's going to trade close to two times normal volume today. It looks like, I mean, maybe not that much, but, but you know, close enough where it's worth noting. You bring up that December 2021 prior all-time high. Here's the horizontal line. I guess what you're saying is we either exhaust ourselves here, which would make sense given the run we've had off 125, or we're about to embark on a new uh, new whole new level higher. Right. So um, first, it, it, it really speaks to the importance of timing uh, to think that, of course, the high for Apple, which we are just now uh, moving above, was the 4th of January 2022. We're now essentially June of 2023. That's 18 months to do nothing. Right. So if one buys at an inopportune time, you can spend a lot of time um, losing money and or waiting just to be recouped to where you started. But that being said, we are now above, right, that January high. That was 182.94, uh, and we're here at 184, 185. Um, as to what constitutes a breakout, moving above a prior high by an inch, by a day, by a dollar, that's not what a breakout is. A breakout typically is something that gets to the former high and then spends time backing away, backing and feeling, coiling at the high, and then thrusts and breaks out. This is not the setup for a breakout. This is the setup for something that is likely to start to abate. 
So Carter, it's interesting. You know, you and I, um, we did options action together on CNBC for 10 years. And uh, it's funny, the week before WWDC, that's their Worldwide Developers Forum, which just literally kicked off 18 minutes ago, okay, in Cupertino, we would preview it the Friday before. Remember that? You would look at the charts and I would do a trade on it. And we'd always talk about, well, if you're long and it ran into it, you'd sell calls, right? And because the stock would come in. Or if you're looking for protection, you know, maybe you'd collar it. Or if you're outright bearish and you think it's going to be a dud, you'd buy puts. So here it is. The stock has rallied 50% from its January lows. It got back to the January 22. Uh, you know, we, we, we just went through all that stuff. To me, what's the psychology if the stock can maintain, if it doesn't sell on the news today? They just announced a 15-inch MacBook Air. They're going to announce this, whatever. Like, we all know. It's already been previewed. What if it doesn't sell off this time? You know what I mean? It's just kind of funny to me. It seems like the psychology of the market has shifted in a way towards these mega caps that I just cannot remember. It's just been when it's been this fierce before. Yeah, I mean, uh, there are instances, we certainly know the dot-com, but then if you think about Apple in 2018, right, it was 2020, I'm sorry, off of its COVID low, it was about this far above its 150-day, about 20%. Uh, but mean aversion is part of a process, even on the way to zero. Enron had important counter-trend moves, i.e. if you're in a downtrend, a counter-trend move is up. And all uptrends are punctuated by counter-trend moves, which are down. Apple uh, is not something to commit capital to here. I just uh, I don't see the thesis. And, uh, you know, that's about where I come out. Stock that actually could have made a compelling case on valuation a while ago and was really meandering, but it's gotten back on its horses, Google. Now, this is an interesting one now, because given the run that it's had, I'm curious as to what your work suggests. I know you brought a Google chart with you. Well, so here too, this is the picture of the cues, right? So whereas Apple is back to the high, um, one could say, well, perfect. So then why can't Google do what Apple has done? Apple's all the way back there, Microsoft too. Um, yes, but you typically get checkbacks. You get some sort of counter trend. So look at the down move. I mean, just this. This doesn't prove it, but this illustrates it. The down move from the highs of early 22 to the lows of uh, October, what do we know? You have those counter trend moves. And, and same when you see the uptrend that preceded it. We're due for some counter trend move. And in fact, let's go to the etymology of the word. What is the, why does a correction exist? Doesn't it imply that something was Incorrect? Of course it does. That's the word, meaning the steepness on the way down or up. Uh, even regional banks, they collapse and they have a counter trend move back up when you get too far in one direction. More often than not, not always, of course, you get a counter trend. Goog, I would trim. I would write calls. I would take some measures. All right. This one is kind of interesting to me that you brought this chart because it's not a name that we've talked about a whole heck of a lot. Um, and this is Oracle. And Oracle is a company that, you know, basically has been devoid of organic growth for like 15 years. They probably made a hundred billion dollars in, well, 50 ish. I don't even know, like billion dollars in acquisitions over the last 15 years. Um, that's where a lot of their growth has come. You know, you look at this thing here, it's come a very long way, you know, from the lows in October, um, 60 to 107 or 108, where it is right now. Um, the stock shades far cheaper than a lot of its software 
peers, um, you know, they're going to report their fiscal Q4, I think on Monday after the close. And it's interesting. Here's a company that's supposed to grow earnings, double digits, sales, high single digits, um, trading about 19 times next year. Okay. Um, and it's come a long way and it's not a, a name that people spend a lot of time or have not talked a lot about. Yes, they have this growing cloud business. Um, but let me tell you something, okay? If these guys um, are not able to talk about how they're going to use AI um, across their different offerings and, and platforms and that sort of thing, I just don't know where this stock can go. It's the same situation, I think, that you just described with Apple getting back up here. And I'm just curious, you know, like also Larry Ellison famously back in like two, 2007, I think it was, if you Google this, uh, if you Google Larry Ellison, what the hell is cloud computing? There's a, an audio of him on one of their conference calls. This is like right as cloud was about to like literally explode and all these SaaS models and everything like that. And um, he was just being really dismissive. I wonder if this company doesn't have some sort of integration, some sort of offering, um, if they will be dismissive or not, and especially after we've had such a big bubble in such a short period of time. What's your what's your thought process here on Oracle on the charts? Yeah, well, here too, I mean, the point of drawing the lines this way is just to call attention to current price juxtaposed against past price. We know that this is now back to its former high, an inch above today. Um, that high was around 106 and it's trading at 107. Uh, but what it, it is important to make the point repeatedly that it is treacherous if one's timing is poor. Think about having bought at 106 or even 100 almost 18 months ago a round trip to 60, all the way back just to be, get one's money back uh, when think one could have had 10% return from T-bills. The point is, over the last two years, th it, it's steep and uncorrected yet again. And it's not an entry point for new capital by my work. No, I agree with that. And I will say this. I think as people were looking for places they could be where they could sort of justify valuation, they found it in Oracle and where, you know, Salesforce is probably 2x what Oracle trades. I think people said, you know what, maybe Oracle is a place to be. And they've gotten some momentum to the upside. And there's, listen, it's reasonably priced still. Um, I would submit a market multiple, as you said, Dan, low teens, revenue growth, maybe high single digits, earnings growth type of thing. Not the end of the world, but I think it's exhausted itself here. So into earnings, this is one where you have to do something. If you just sit and watch, I think you're trading wrong. And the right thing to do is to take off a quarter, third, half of your position you've been long or the entire thing and wait and see what happens. But sitting on your hands at this point makes no sense to me whatsoever. All right. Last big piece of news that I saw this morning, Carter, was the, the Saudi um, production cut, 1 million barrels a day. You saw crude oil was trading at 75. Now it's trading 72, 77 or so. So it's off of that. The oil stocks, energy stocks sold off kind of quickly and they went down on the day. Crude's still up a little bit. Um, we have a crude chart here. We didn't even bother drawing any lines. I know that you would have. That's 150 day um, that it's still below. Um, you know, thoughts on crude and, and, and just give us, you know, I know you, I know you took a look at the XLE and the OAH here, but just the whole space remains weak. And I know that you don't care about kind of some of the fundamental inputs. It just feels like when you look at that ISM number this morning and you look at some of the other data that we've seen, um, it seems like, you know, the economy here is not gangbusters, uh, X, uh, let's say, you know, um, employment, uh, you know, where it is. I know that ticked up a little bit. And around the world, it just seems a little weak. So I'm just curious your take on crude here. Right. Well, I mean, the beauty of it is that the chart you have there, is, it's also symmetrical, right? I mean, talk about, you know, talk about the way up, 
and then the reciprocal and equal and opposite way down. You can match those lows beautifully, the spike high. You know, it's incredible. We get to 130 a barrel. Wall Street publishes $200 a barrel targets. What, what does that even mean? And of course, it's the exact opposite. We've seen this before. And now crude is hated. My hunch is to actually be nibbling at this. Uh, I think that there's a lot of authority to that sort of 64, 65 level. And while it does look like, well, it's just going to crash through there and go a lot lower, my hunch is it's stabilizing. I would point out that crude adjusted for inflation around $22 a barrel is the exact same it was in 1986, 87. Um, crude is not expensive here, if you will, relative to the size of GDP, the global GDP and so forth. You have a bunch of factors at work here, Dan, we talk about it. You have on one hand um, the fact that I think a lot of people believe there's this global slowdown taking place regardless of what um, some of the more, I guess, optimistic people say about China. It's clear that things are slowing down. You mentioned ISM. So that's one force on crude oil. The, the other force is supply-demand imbalances, which, which have been in place for seemingly the last three or four years. And that's sort of the push-me-pull-you which is the reason why, if you think about it, you know, crude's been up and down over the last six, seven, eight months, but it's basically gone nowhere. We seemingly talk about a $72 crude price for the longest time. I don't know what's going to happen in terms of trying to refill the SPR. Obviously, that would be a bullish catalyst. Saudis will continue to, I think, jawbone uh, the price higher, which I guess is somewhat um, positive. But the flip side is a lot of people think the economy is slowing down globally which puts um, forces to the downside. Crude stocks are cheap, but they've gotten a lot cheaper over the last couple of weeks. And you pointed out ExxonMobil probably four or five Fridays ago when they reported, you said that's probably about as good as it gets. That went from 121 to 106. I still think you reload here. I think the forces against energy stocks have been this sort of push from um, energy into this reallocation into high growth, high valuation stocks. But if those stocks break, I think you're going to see a lot of people uh, sort of run back into these energy names, Dan. All right. Well, I'm not one of them right here because I just think about. No, I hear you. Um, no, I, I. You know, listen. I, I. I look at like bank stocks. I look at some industrials. I look at areas of cyclicals. I, I just. I just see a lot of stuff not acting well, and maybe that's the expense of all the the Nasdaq stuff or whatever. But <laughs> it feels like it feels like there's another shoe to drop in financials. I'll just say that. I mean, it just uh, financials. Yes. And just to put it in context, you'd think at the beginning of the year, I mean, this is just how hard it, this is as, as a process, how fickle it is, and how, well, mercurial and ever-changing. The number one most embraced theme on Wall Street was to be long financials. And guess what the number one theme to be avoiding at all costs was tech. It's not about individuals getting it wrong or right. We all get it wrong or right. It's just that it can change on a dime. And- so too it can change again. Love the great Carter Braxton Worth who graced us with his presence almost the entire half hour. Dan, we tease next Monday, which is going to be what do the kids say? Fire emoji, right? Is that what they yeah, say? I mean, maybe I they do. I don't, I don't think I've ever said that before in my life, but somebody says it. I want to thank the great Carter Braxton Worth of Worth Charting, Dan Nathan. I want to thank our audience. Obviously, I want to thank FactSet Financial Data and Analytics. Powered by tomorrow. We'll be back tomorrow at 1 p.m. Eastern Time, Dan, where we look at the market through the lens of futures vis a vis CME Group. We'll see you then.